Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands podcast, hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. On everybody, this is the Clap Your Hands podcast, brought to you by 94WIP, brought to you by Odyssey Sports. Kyle, another game, another pod, another special performance, another win. I mean. Just an unbelievable night for the Sixers and a win over the Cavs where they didn't really play that well, if we're being honest. I mean, you had a good tweet about it uh, at halftime. Was anyone else from the team besides Embiid going to leave the team hotel? It was a not inspiring performance. But to be honest, man, it's 1030 at night. Uh, Personally, it's deep in Eagles free agency. I've been busy, but me and you were texting before uh, with our producer, James, you know, should we do the pod tonight? Should we do it tomorrow? And ultimately, we're doing it tonight. And why are we doing it tonight, man? Because this team is special. And I I enjoy talking about this Sixers team. I think they've earned it. I think Embiid is special, man. And I thought tonight was just another example of why this team is just, it's a different team than what we've seen in past years. Yeah, I just want all the listeners to understand that Elliot has been up since like 3 a.m. Yes. today. Yes. So he is really persevering to bring you this <laughs> podcast so that either you can be with us during the stream or listen to this on your morning commute when you're yeah. hearing it tomorrow. Um, well, look. I'll say this. If uh, you know, if if I have to step and record the pod and we can give Doc credit for that challenge, time, <laughs> well, time well spent uh, for me staying up. So here's what I'll say. I think these last two games, we didn't record after the Wizards game. I think these last two games have shown that Joel sort of senses that this might be his moment, finally. That after the last two years where he comes up just short and Jokic beats him out for whatever reason in both seasons, that he knows what's happening in Denver, right? Like, I know from going into the locker room after games that as soon as he's done playing, Joel is feet in ice by his locker, has his phone in his hand, and he's watching another game. And in a lot of cases, it's all the best teams. It's the Milwaukee's, the Denver's, the Celtics, all those type of teams. And so he's he's aware that Denver is on a slide, that, that Jokic, as I think we titled the, uh, the stream for this, he has surpassed Jokic for top MVP odds at most sports books right now. Now, that doesn't mean Joel is going to win the award, but I do think he's seen that the tide has shifted, that he has an opportunity here, that if he closes strong, when you consider the overall body of work, you consider how well he's playing right now, you consider that since December 1st, they have the single best win percentage in the entire NBA. I I mean, it's all lining up for him. Now, of course, if he loses to Denver and Milwaukee in the final two weeks right. of the season, we'll be having a very different conversation. But I think if you look at, the defensive commitment that they're getting from him every night recently. I think it's playing out exactly as we said it would, where these tough games, this tough schedule has actually ended up working out somewhat in their favor, where he's he's not quite playing at playoff level defense, but he's not that far off of it. And you can see the difference between this level of Joel Embiid defense and you know Charlotte Hornets in January, December level defense. From Embiid. So when you combine that with the type of scoring run that he's on, and I'm going to pull up some stats in a minute to to put that into perspective, I just think like he knows that if he's ever going to win one, this is his chance. And look, I give him credit for it. He's he's not shying away from it. 
He's stepping up in this moment. He was their only guy who looked like he had it at all in the first half. And so for them to eventually come out of that Cleveland game with a win is a testament certainly to him and absolutely to this team, which as you mentioned, I I don't know that I'll call them special. I, I want to see them do it in a setting that really matters, but they are certainly different, as we've said a hundred times, than the teams we've seen in the past around here. Yeah, so I, I've been lucky enough to cover two Eagles teams that went to the Super Bowl. One won it, in case you didn't hear, the other one didn't, right? So I feel like, and I'm not in the locker room with the Sixers, so I really do want to pick your brain on just kind of the vi- the vibes and stuff like that, as much as I hate to use the whole vibes word, but whatever. So I've been around two teams. I feel like I know what a special team looks like. To me, the wins, the way they win, the way Embiid's playing, the way things are breaking around them, the Celtics are falling apart a little bit. I know they barely won tonight, uh, but Jokic is falling apart. The Nuggets are falling apart. Like, these are things that happen to special seasons. Like this is how special seasons are born, right? It's when I, when the Eagles start seven and zero, but also this other team's not that good or this quarterback gets hurt, right? There's a lot of focus on the team itself, but special seasons are born from circumstances. And right now the circumstances for this team is the most special it has been, frankly, since probably the 01 Sixers, if we're being honest. I know they haven't won in the playoffs yet, but just in terms of how good they are, how the narrative is shifting, how the league around them is. The Bucs are good. The Celtics are good. It, it, you know, it's not a it's not a thing where they're definitely the best team. But man, they just, to me, from afar, from watching on TV, they feel special. And I think to what you're saying about Embiid, I think they sense it. When I watch this team, I think they know something is happening. You can see it in the confidence. You can see it in the way that they come back in games, in the way that they believe in themselves to I mean, do they it. have some of the best clutch stats in the entire yeah. NBA. Like uh, when it really counts, which is, you know, it gets overanalyzed, but it is really important. They've been one of the best teams in the league there on top of being one of the best teams in the league, just period. And, and there's two reasons for that. One, they're supremely talented and they're led by two of the top whatever players in the NBA. Certainly number one player and then wherever you want to put Harden, right? But they believe in themselves. They believe in themselves. Like watching this game tonight, right? They come out. I think they had eight turnovers in the first quarter. Incredibly sloppy play. No one's playing well besides Embiid. It just looks like a game where, and the Cavs didn't play that well either. The Cavs are certified frauds. They're not doing anything in the playoffs. But but it's still a national game, right? And they believed in themselves. And they pulled it out. And I think what you said about Embiid is so true. This is the closest he's ever been to the MVP in my opinion. This is it. The, the momentum's on his side. He's playing at an unbelievable level, and the narrative is on his side for the first time in, frankly, maybe ever when discussing the MVP thing. So to your point about whether they have the look of a special or the feel of a special team, I think the way I think about it, at least within historical terms, is that you don't ever really know for sure as it's happening, but we can always look back throughout NBA history as there are moments when great players go from, yeah, that guy's really talented, but he hasn't won or can't win yet to, oh, fuck, this guy is a title-winning player. It's perfectly fine. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not going to say that he's Michael Jordan, obviously. Okay, all right. Well, I appreciate you. But with that lead-in, But so Michael Jordan, the book on him, his first, let's call it his first five or six years, is that this guy's an unbelievable scorer, great player. But when you get to the playoffs, they need him to be more than a scorer. You can't win with the team where this guy just scores, scores, scores. He's got to do this. He's got to do that. And 
all of a sudden something, I mean, one, the team got better around him, something that's ha- also happening in Philadelphia right now. Two, Jordan reached a point in his career where he had a full understanding of what it takes to win in the regular season, but also in the playoffs. He had been there and seen why he failed. He's trying to go, you know, three on one against the Pistons loading up against them in the paint. He can, as he gets deeper into his career and Horace Grant develops and Scottie Pippen develops, he knows that he can trust those guys. He has real sidekicks, guys who can pick him up when he has a tough stretch, guys who, if he's on the bench, can, you know, lead these successful units, guys who he has a partnership with on the floor, right? And so that really is the pattern. It's like you go through the trials, the tribulations, the playoff failures, and then all of a sudden there's that moment. It's like, okay, you've hit your prime, and not only are you at your physical peak, but all the mental lessons, everything else starts to come together. And then there's the one playoff run, and that's you just get over the edge from there. Like Giannis, over and over again, Giannis runs into this playoff wall. 2021, he finally puts it all together, culminates with probably the best game he's ever played in his life to win the NBA Finals, <laughs> makes like every free throw, scores right. like 50 points or whatever. And I'm not saying that Joel is going to have that sort of breakthrough He's going to win the title type moment. But if you're looking at the type of season that he's having, where he's been better in the clutch, where he's been a better leader, where he's got a sidekick, where the bench units are not as hopeless without him, all these things are adding up on top of him raising his game to another level. And you start to think maybe this is finally the time for him and this team to break through after all the failures. Well, if you remember... I think it was after, was it the Celtics game where he hit the game, went like that super long court shot at the end. It was a Celtics game. He hits that where shot. Where it didn't count. Yeah. yeah, but it didn't count, right. And he says something after the game about, you know, oh, it was like a second late, but story of my life, right? And, you know, kind of saying, oh, second MVP, all these things. I think Joel sees that this is his chance to finish first, right? So to your analogy about Jordan, you know, I, I think there's certain points in players' lives and their professions where it just – it clicks, right? And as good as Joel is and as talented as he's been, I understand the 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 uh, frustration that can build from constant rejection, right? I think we're all human. We all know that that must suck for him. Everyone in the world is talking about how he should have won MVP, but he didn't. And like, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I think, I think he sees the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think as a result, you are seeing the best version of Joel we've ever seen. And you said this, frankly, when we first started to, started to do the pod, just that Joel took a step this year. And I think early on in the year, it wasn't as apparent for a couple reasons. One, they weren't playing as well as a team, right? Two, the Eagles and Phillies were in the World Series and the Super Bowl. So that just was, it, you know, it always kind of overshadows, especially early season NBA. But now the Embiid we're seeing, you know, like you you say the Jordan uh, comparison and, and besides the fact the pod's going to be titled Embiid's the next Jordan, I think we know <laughs> that, uh, you're, you're probably kidding. But I texted you this during the game. Like, when's the last time we saw somebody in Philly this good? Like, the, the guy we saw tonight casually put up what? What did he finish with? 36, 31, something 36, like that? 36, 18, and three, and then four blocks. And he did right. it on elite efficiency and was perfect from the free throw line. It, it's insane. And you look at the numbers. I just had it up. Let me see. By the way, Darius Slay is coming back to the Eagles, so... I didn't want to interrupt our flow, but yeah, Yeah, I I saw Jennifer Slay's tweet pop up on the timeline. 
I think it's clearly because uh, you know they know they see how well Embiid's playing. But if you look <laughs> at if you look at his last fourteen games, right? So tonight, thirty six, eighteen, three. 34, 8, 4, 39, 7, 4, 39, 7, 4, 42, 5, 3. I mean, these are video game numbers. Like, this is absolutely insane, the stretch that he is going on. And it's just the best version of him we have ever seen. As someone that's around him, you talked about the Jordan mental part of it. Like, have you noticed differences in him, like, off the court as well? Like, are there little things you pick up on just in terms of his I don't want to say maturity because I think his immature thing has probably been a bit overstated over the year, but just what is he like to be around now? Is he, is he in the zone? Is he like, just what's it like to be around Joel? He's sort of the same guy. I think he does understand the responsibility of being the guy more. And some of this is recency bias, right? Like there definitely have been lulls in the middle of the season where they took their foot off the gas or he took his foot off the gas and they are letting teams back into games and, They've had to have these big comeback attempts against certain teams to get these wins. But, you know, I, I think that there has been very little of the looking for blame and this is why this is going wrong and woe is me. Like, I know he had the story of my life sort of quote, but right. like in general, he said, we've had the guys, the coaches have done a good job. Like it, it's on us. It's on me that I have to do what I have to do. Um, I wanted to, while you were on the subject of the numbers you just brought up. So this hasn't been updated with tonight's stats. Mm -hmm. Since December 1st, Joel Embiid's averages 34.2 points per game, 10.2 rebounds, four assists. He's shooting 55% from the field, 39% from three, 86% from the line on almost 12 free throw attempts per game. And I saw something earlier. There's a... Andy Glockner is a big Jokic guy, just a smart basketball guy in general that I'm I'm friendly with on Twitter, mm -hmm. who was talking about the MVP argument and essentially said one of the reasons that you can't give it to Embiid is he wouldn't win the best player in the world argument. Like, he's not the best player. And I thought about that for a second, and I was looking at these numbers, and I thought to myself, you know, if – Another – like if Kevin Durant was putting up these same numbers over that same period of time mm -hmm. and his team had the single best record in the NBA and his team had also played another of other MVP players or candidates and great teams over that stretch and had beaten basically every single one of them with Kevin Durant being the best player in those games, wouldn't we say Kevin Durant is the best player in the world? Like yeah. I – I'm not saying, like, if you ask me in my heart of hearts who the best overall player is in the league, I would probably say Giannis because I think he's a more matchup-proof player who you can just do more things with him because he is more of – he can masquerade as a center, but he's also a forward and he's got guard skills and whatever. Whereas, Joel, you're a little more boxed in. But, like, if you are – the best player on the team that has been the best and you're beating all the other best players, you at least have a claim to say, I could be the best player in the world, right? Like if, the, if Joel is not number one, he is a lot closest to a lot closer to Giannis than like Jason Tatum, who is another yeah. elite player who is just not in that stratosphere of players. So I do think that I have never really felt that way before. I've always thought like, yeah, Joel might be the MVP, but I have doubts about him in terms of where he's at in the hierarchy. Like some of this is regular season stuff. 
and whatever. But this feels more real and more sustained over such a long period of time that I think we can sit here and be like, there is a chance that he right now is just the single best player in the world. And I yeah. like when he when he's at his best, I think there's a clear case for it. But I think the fact that he's been so consistent over such an extended period of time now and that he's hitting this level of physical and mental mastery where, you know, you talked about if he's different this year, you asked if he's different this year, just the fact that he's changed his game so that he basically operates not exclusively at the elbows, but, you know, 60%, 70% of his offense is starting there. And he totally retailored the way he plays and the Sixers restructured their offense because this was looking toward the playoffs and looking toward how teams guard him and guard them in crunch time. And it has worked this well. Like this is all a testament to everything he's put in to get to this moment. So again, I'm not saying that Joel is the clear cut guy, but uh, people who are dismissing him and saying that he doesn't have a case for that, I think are being pretty ignorant of the sustained run that he's been on. Yeah. And I think when you rank like the best players in the world, there's a few ways to do it. Durant is unbelievable, unbelievable resume. If you're going to factor in what they've accomplished in those things, then yeah, Embiid is not the best player in the world right now because Durant is one thing, you know, Steph, I know the Warriors are a mess this year. Steph certainly has earned his, his name to be in that conversation no matter what, right? But if you're talking about just who in the NBA is playing the best right now, Embiid is playing better than Giannis in my opinion. You're right that if you're, if you're picking a, a five-man team, Maybe there's an argument for Giannis, but I just look at Embiid and I go, he's unbelievable on offense. He's almost unstoppable on offense when you look at the points he's averaging per game. And then he's amazing on defense too. So as great as Giannis is, I don't think Giannis is as skilled offensively as Embiid is. He certainly isn't the shooter that Embiid is, right? So just right now in the league, I see your Giannis point, but I think it's Embiid. And I think what you said is really true. How the last two years, the conversation around Embiid has been, oh yeah, he deserves MVP. He's a great guy. It, I'm sorry. He's a great player. All those things. It's past that now. Like obviously the, the MVP is the goal in for a regular season. And I'm fine with that being a goal of his. I like the fact that he's shooting for it. His fans really want it. He really wants it. I'm into it. I like it. But, but outside of that, the real conversation is, is this guy the best player in the NBA? And I'll piggyback off of that to say, I'm going to do it myself, but I, I like, I've now, be, I've started to hate the fact when people always talk about Embiid without an ability, like he's past Jokic. There's no reason to bring up Jokic anymore. He well, dude, that Cleveland game, that, that game we just watched, Jokic couldn't have that level of defensive impact if he had a fucking jet pack on. Yeah. Like there's just, <laughs> like, there's just no way. There's no way you can show me any defensive metric. You can show me, just like team defensive stats, whatever it is, there is not a chance in hell that that guy could ever have a defensive performance like that. Period, end of discussion, end of story. I mean, I think Embiid had two or three possessions tonight where he directly either blocked or impacted the shot on one end and then almost immediately scored on the other end, right? But I I can't remember if we've done a pod since then, but there was a a shot that Jokic had recently, a chance to win the game. It was after Embiid's game-winning shot against the Blazers, so I don't think think we did. But Jokic had a similar type attempt to the one Embiid had. Embiid's game-winning shot against the Blazers, Jokic took it uh, to try to win the game. 
it literally to me looked like if I walked down to the local Y and watched like a 45 year old version of me trying to like pretend I'm in bead because I'm excited. You're getting a little too wrapped up in the aesthetic. I'm telling you, man. All right. All right. I think to me, my new bit with with Jokic, and I think it's true, is shoot the ball, coward. Like people said it about Ben. (laughs) Shoot the ball, bro. You're supposed to be the best player in the league. You barely shoot the ball. Like again, this idea that he's comparable to Embiid, it's just not true. Embiid is a better player on offense. He's a better player on defense. And their playoff success is exactly the same. Jokic has two MVPs, but the Sixers have been better than the Nuggets in the regular season over these last however many years, right? So ultimately, when I'm talking about Embiid now, and I'll never stop because Jokic is tied to him, but he shouldn't be part of the conversation. It should be Giannis, Luka, those guys. Jokic is gone. The debate's over. He's not as good as Embiid. He's just not. Well, I want to circle back to one thing. I don't agree that Jokic is not in the conversation. I do think Joel should be ahead of him at this point because, as I've said previously, the final part of the season matters in a year where all these guys are having just cartoonish level numbers and great seasons. let Let me phrase it to you this way. Let's say you had every GM in the NBA in front of you, right? And you said, all right, you have to pick Embiid or Jokic. How many pick Embiid and the ones that pick Jokic, would you understand it? I think there would be a lot to pick Jokic just because of the health stuff. Like I, that's, that's the bottom line. Like if we're talking about, we're building a team. I think it's different. If you say you have to pick one of these guys to win one game, I think more (laughs) pick Embiid. If you're saying I have to build a franchise around this guy, like we can say all this stuff about Jokic being not much of an athlete and et cetera, yeah, that's et cetera. putting it mildly. But yeah. but part of that actually protects him against you know the sort of injuries that Joel suffered, where he goes up for crazy blocks and dunks and whatever, and right. he comes down funny and he gets hurt. So that's a but any so sidetrack. You brought up the point of saying that he's the best player in the world right now. It's not the same as a career thing, and I agree. Like. It's sort of similar to, it drove me a little crazy. Do you remember when, well, Lil Wayne literally dropped the song called Best Rapper Alive, but there was a period where there were a lot of big arguments about, like a lot of people called Lil Wayne the best rapper alive from like 07 until let's call it like 2011, something Mm -hmm. like that. And I mean, there are some people who believe he's the greatest rapper ever or whatever. Not many smart people. But <laughs> calling him the best rapper I mean, alive was not saying... Kyle just debating Lil Wayne. And, uh, but calling him know, the like, best rapper alive was not saying he's the best, literally the best rapper alive. It's he is dominating this moment. Like he was the hottest rapper right. on the planet, was dropping mixtape after mixtape, whatever. Right. That's Joel right now. Joel is dropping mixtape after mixtape. And it's unbelievable. That doesn't mean he has Kevin Durant's legacy. It doesn't mean that he can stack up with Giannis's MVPs and has a championship. But I think they're like, if you just look at, we can only look at the big picture so much, right? All these guys have crazy scoring averages or in Jokic's case, averaging a triple double. The stats are monstrous and whatever. We can say all that, but these guys have to play one another on the floor and then when they're on the floor together and one guy wins three out of four games against the other two guys if you're not at least giving him a chance to say he's the best player in in the world or in the league you're just ignoring the results that are happening on the floor is all so, 
our pod title has gone from Embiid is MJ to Embiid is Little Wayne circa 07. So we got a lot of good, <laughs> a lot of good pod titles here. But you talk about how how we feel. Obviously, look, we're 25 whatever minutes into the pod. We both think Embiid's the MVP. We think he's in the conversation, if not the best player in the NBA right now. What do you think has changed? Or I should say, do you think that the narrative around him and the conversation around him has changed over the last few days? Because it does feel to me like more and more I see on Twitter, not just Philly people, not just like NBA people I follow, but like national type guys, you know, like it seems there more Embiid praise is coming his way than maybe ever before. So you say that he belongs in the conversation and deserves being the conversation because he's beaten Giannis and Jokic three out of four times. I, I think he is in the conversation. Like, I think that door is broke. Oh, he definitely is. I, I think yeah. he, he is in that. But not just amongst us, not just amongst us, I'm saying. I think he is getting credit for how good he's being nationally. I do honestly wonder how much people are fearful of what their vote will look like after the, oh. the Kendrick Perkins, J.J. Redick thing with Jokic tailing off. Like, there are all these other factors. And then, like, which... If it ends up like the people rethink their vote because of that and because they're just like trying to be right. I don't know. Right. I don't really love that because I think Joel had a great case at the time. And I think it's more important that he's just playing well, that he's playing better than Jokic. I think honestly at this point, and I said this to you before we started the podcast, we are probably going to have to start recentering this debate around Joel versus Giannis because I think with the way the Nuggets are playing, the Sixers now straight up have a better record than Denver right now, by the way, after that win over Cleveland, that it becomes, can you make the case for Joel over Giannis if the Bucs have the best record in the league and win, they might win 60 games. Like it's it's on the table at this point with the run of form they're on. So if the Bucs win 60 games and the records are the stats are comparable and they're that far out in front of the Sixers who have a tough close of the year. Essentially what I think would have to happen is that Joel has to sustain this level of play. And he also has to beat Giannis and Jokic again in those final two meetings between them of the season, which honestly is kind of an unfair bar to set. Like he has to win those where I think Giannis could lose those and still end up winning the award. I think the same is probably true for Jokic, depending on how the rest of the season goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I like. I think it is. It's going to come down to: Do the Sixers beat the Bucks and Nuggets, and does Joel play well in those games? Do you think? Do you think Embiid and the Sixers have to finish with the one seed for him to win it? Like regardless not. of those games, let's say they lose those, but they some still how they still finish with the one seed somehow. Do you think he has to be the one seed, or do you think this is about? just playing the way he's playing the rest of the season and the results being basically the same and and he'll win it. No, I mean, I think if he wins the scoring title, which right now he's on track for, and they finish the season, I mean, what, they've won five or six in a row now. And basically, once they get done this mini road trip, most of the rest of the season are all marquee games. They Mm -hmm. play... Golden State and Phoenix and Denver and Milwaukee and they just have qual or Boston again and they have all these quality matchups and I think it is strictly in his hands to win or lose this award. I just think if you're looking at and I know that people like to dismiss the narrative parts, but like I do think narrative matters 
of or course should it matter. matter. No, yeah. but like I'm saying it should matter. There are people who are like, it does or doesn't matter. I think it should. Like yeah, the I problem agree. that I have with the Jokic stuff or Jokic winning last year, for example, had an unbelievable season, great numbers, all that, had basically no help with guys injured in Denver. But, like, nobody is going to look back at last season and give a fuck about what Jokic did because the team didn't matter. They were irrelevant to the story of the season. They got washed out of the first round by Golden State. And, look, you could say the same about Joel. Joel gets hurt. They lose to Miami in round two. But there was never a chance that Denver was going to be relevant. If Joel stays healthy, then, you know, maybe they're part of the, the story of that season. You never know. So I just think the fact that, narrative should matter lines up with the Sixers end of the season schedule that all these big games are going to end up playing in their favor or well, maybe it, not in their favor. It might work against them. If they lose high profile games, then it, it puts into play, not just Giannis winning, but also Jokic winning. Well, it is crazy to think that three years of trying to win the MVP could come down to like three games. You know, <laughs> I, I, it is, it is, it is crazy to think that, but to your point about the narrative, um, I agree that like I think it'd be interesting to find out if Perkins, if Kendrick Perkins never says what he says, does Kyle, does Kyle, does Joel, does Joel win the MVP? It's an interesting question, right? But to your point about narrative, Jokic also benefited greatly from the narrative in a way last year in terms of like you know like who cares about the success? He's just all this blah blah blah, blah right? I don't think he should have gotten it to your point. I think the narrative thing was wrong for him. But he didn't win it because the Nuggets were a great team. He won it because like people talk about what historical year and blah, 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 whatever. So if Embiid benefits from the narrative this year, that's only it's just fair. It's fair. Like all the players that win MVP benefit from the narrative in a way. And I agree with you that it should be the case. Like, I think the MVP should tell the story of the league that season. And when you look at the last five years, including this season, it is It is like borderline reckless that Embiid will have no MVPs and Giannis could have three or Jokic could have three. Embiid should get one of them, right? And I think he's played well enough to put himself in the place where at this point, if he doesn't win it, I I think it's an obvious mistake, but I also think it's just flat out unfair. I think he deserves it over Giannis. (laughs) It's just flat out unfair, man. He's doing everything he can possibly do to win it. I'll give a more diplomatic version of uh, of Sorry, that take. I think eleven o'clock at night, Elliot feels. I think when there is a clear cut, this is the guy in the league. So a LeBron level guy or a Jordan level guy, that's when I think you could just say, yeah, this could be the MVP every year. Like this guy is that good that I don't give a shit about the narrative or oh, this team has like a fun season or right. whatever. It's like. As long as that guy is doing what he's doing, that dude deserves the MVP. And I think because, as we were talking earlier, I think because the separation is not that great between a lot of these guys at the top. And you could throw in some more guys. Like Steph Curry, when he's healthy, unbelievable player. Luka, awesome. Like a few more guys that you could throw in that, that short list of players. And so I think when there's not this slam dunk A1 guy leading the league that is the true face of the league, then I do think it's like, yeah, maybe this guy should win this year. And maybe there's room for several different guys to win MVPs during this run. And that, I think, ultimately would reflect the history of the league better than Jokic winning three straight. 
because Jokic is not the clear cut best player Agreed. in the league. Yeah, I, I, like that's what it comes down to to me. Where I I don't like narrative is where it gets too far. Like LeBron clearly lost an MVP that he probably should have beaten Derrick Rose out for. Yeah, because people I agree were mad. That. People Voted. were mad. He went to Miami yeah. and Chicago had a great year. And hey, guess what? They got to the playoffs and LeBron was still the best player and they win. And that's where I think you run a foul when you're looking at the narrative, right? Or when you give yeah. one to Carl Malone and then Jordan fucking humiliates him in the finals. <laughs> like, like stuff yeah. like that. I don't think there is a high probability that you give it to Embiid and he's going to get like Hakeem versus David Robinson by Giannis in the playoffs. Like I, no. I just don't think that would happen. So we agree Embiid is playing at an all-time historic kind of level from what we've seen in Philly sports, all those things. For me, and I think it's probably for you the case as well, Iverson is the gold standard for me as a sixer, as an athlete. He was my favorite growing up, all his shoes, all his jerseys, all those things. Like he, for me, you know, we both do this professionally now, but he's the athlete. I feel like, you know, I'm still not able to be rational about because of growing up and liking him. Right. But I think there's now real conversations to be had about is Embiid going to pass Iverson as on the Sixers all-time list. If you look at what he's doing this year, and it's because of the MVP, which made me think of it. I did some research comparing like the 01 Iverson to Embiid this year. And first of all, what's crazy about it is Embiid is basically taking the same type of shots. Like Iverson didn't take a ton of threes. He took a lot of mid-ranges. And then he was not as much as the rim at the rim as Embiid was, but he drove quite a bit as well. And if you look at Iverson that year and what he did, Embiid's been better, right? In, in 2001, Iverson had between 30 and 39 points 18 times. Embiid this year at, and after tonight, 27 times. So considerably more times, right? Iverson was 50 plus points two times. Embiid, 50 plus points two times. So when I think of Iverson in 01, I think about explosive scoring. I think about carrying the team as a scorer, right? Like my favorite type of scoring because of how I grew up watching it, driving to the, all those things. That's what Embiid is, and Embiid's been better at it, right? So I think it's it's if Embiid can get to the finals this year or if he can get to the conference finals and he wins MVP, I don't know, man. As much as I love Iverson, I think it, I think it like this will be the best Sixers season I've seen in my lifetime from a player. So let me preface this by saying that I grew up wearing Iverson sneakers. Yeah. There are some old pictures of me wearing – headbands and all oh, kinds yeah. of other shit emulating Allen Iverson. Like he is a big part of why I got into basketball in the first place. Joel is better than him. Like peak to peak is better than him. There are two things separating them that one, he'll never be able to clear. One is within his power. The one that he can clear is just the playoff stuff, right? If Joel leads them on, on one single finals run, he will have been both a better player and have equaled Allen Iverson's playoff output. Right. Yep. And so that is just what you just said about all the scoring stuff. And then you stack them up next to each other and say, look, Iverson had, he, he could dart into passing lanes and, and disrupt plays on defense. They did some interesting things with that team in 01 where they would full court press where you could use him there and maybe not, uh, deal with as much of his weaknesses in the half court. Whereas Joel like is the Sixers defense and is a high level defensive player in an era that is not suited 
for defense, right? So to be a very good defensive player now versus Iverson being an okay, occasionally impactful defender in a defense first era speaks a lot to the the gap between them in in defensive value. Mm -hmm. So if you're just talking about pure value and overall skill set, Joel is better. But again, I 100% agree with anyone who says, unless he can do that in the playoffs, unless he can match that sort of run, it doesn't have to be the same kind of run where he carries the team on his back. Like he needs James, he needs Tyrese, he needs all these other guys. But if he can go on a finals run, he will surpass Iverson, whether it's now or, you know, years down the road. He like, he just is better. Where I think it will be tough, where it will be tough for him to ever pass Iverson, whether it's locally or from a like national basketball basketball perspective, right? Is the cultural cachet? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think people understand. Like I get into this with the black Sixers jerseys all the time. Those jerseys are horrendous, but people think they're fucking cool because oh, Allen Iverson. Them. I love them. They only think they're cool because Allen Iverson wore them and made them look cool. He might be the single coolest player in the history of the NBA. Like, well, real, unique- real, quick, real quick, what's crazy is I have an authentic Iverson of those black jerseys, right? Like the ones that, that are cut. And the fact that they played in essentially like silk back then, I mean, the thing was like, it goes up to here. I mean, mine's is like a 3XL, of course, because that's what I wore back then. But like the fact they played in those, like cool or, uh, and cool or not, just the technology, it's insane to think Iverson walked around. Play, probably played in a game with like 10 pounds of sweaty silk on his body compared to what they play in now. It's it's pretty wild. The picture I always show people, there's a, a picture of Iverson talking to Matt Geiger in mm-hmm. the those black Sixers uniforms. And whenever people argue with me about those jerseys, I always say, Allen Iverson in this jersey compared to what you look like in this jersey. <laughs> you are Matt Geiger. Most yes. people put on that jersey and look like an asshole. But Allen Iverson looked cool because everything he did was cool. He's like a cultural one of one. And at the time, took like an absolute beating. And he has said as much in the years since from David Stern and people outside the league for, you know, being him and being unapologetically black, honestly, at a time when a lot of the basketball watching public was not really ready for that. And so he resonates in ways that go so far beyond basketball and i'm not saying that joel doesn't have a compelling story or ways to connect with people right but he's not he's not not. the league like people don't really love joel outside the city iverson was the most popular player in the nba for arguably like two or three years joel's never been i mean he just he had a level of crossover appeal that i don't think joel is ever going to hit and i do think there was a some of it is with the game too locally where I think Iverson just represented Philly more than Joel because Mm -hmm. one is a guy who's a little guy. Like I've stood in a room next to Allen Iverson. There's not a fucking chance that guy was even six feet tall. Dude, that dude, he's like my height. I've stood next to him. He probably has an inch on me and I'm, you know, five, nine, five, eight, whatever. He is not, he is not comfortably, I'm comfortably taller than Allen Iverson having, you know, talk to him and what have you and so the fact that that guy was able to carve out not just a a great nba career but an mvp level career and go toe to toe with the lakers with shaq and kobe at their absolute apex and and you know so on down the line i just think that that that's a story that resonates here more than it does 
almost anywhere else. Like he's just the epitome of a, you fall down seven times, get up eight. He's getting fouled, getting fouled. And he still marches back to the line, fell on his own sword so many times. Like it's going to be hard for Joel to ever be there, but if he wins, I think he can probably erase all of that. And people will say, that's the best guy I ever saw play for the Sixers. Well, I think it's it's a little bit like Jordan and LeBron in the way that LeBron, you can make the argument, is a better basketball player than Jordan, right? And I think, and you can make an argument, is that a better career in some ways, in terms of accomplishments, obviously not rings. But why LeBron will never really pass Jordan is because he's chasing a ghost. Like, Jordan is the goat. He's the sneaker guy. Like, he is just an insurmountable person to pass. I used to think that was the case with Iverson. And I think that ties into all what you're saying about how popular he is. Like, they're, like Embiid's chasing a ghost, for me at least, when it comes to Iverson. But again, this season is better than Iverson's MVP season in terms of regular. Like, Embiid has been better this year than Iverson was in 01. Whether that will translate to playoff success, yeah, we'll, we'll say this every pod. Who knows? And it'll dictate how we feel. But I think the ultimate compliment I can give Embiid, like we did a 25 minutes of, is he the best player in the league? Like the best compliment I can give Embiid is, I think he's better than Iverson. And for me, like that that's the ultimate praise. Well, and so to your point on uh, on chasing the Jordan ghost, the way I always say that to people is that, The reason that for a lot of people, Jordan will never be surpassed is that his career is essentially a sports movie. If you if you brought that to a movie studio, they'd they'd laugh at you and be like, this is too cliche. It's like, oh, this guy retired at the peak of his powers. His father, his father was murdered. He went to play baseball as like part of a way to connect to his father that he lost and then comes back out of basketball shape gets humbled by what looks like the next generation Shaq and Penny, and then has the single greatest season of all time from an NBA team perspective and wins three straight titles and then retires again on a game winning shot against the guy who won MVP over him. It's like, there's just no way there's, there's no way to beat that. And then they made a documentary about it. And, you know, I have my issues with how they did it, but it, there's just no way to surpass that in the minds of the people who live through Michael Jordan's career arc. It just so it's just an upward trajectory, right? He lost and he lost and he lost until he won for the first time. And then he basically never lost again. And, and so that's, it's the epitome of what we want in basketball, right? Yeah. We don't care if you struggle in the first, second and third quarters, if you're able to bring it home in the fourth. And if, if you're looking at Jordan's career, the whole fourth quarter is just, dominance that's all it was so one last Embiid question and then we'll talk about the Cavs game because I do want your takeaways on non-Embiid stuff from that game but we were texting during the game me you and uh and the producer James about like what players have we seen play at this level and first of all the response you gave me you could have told told me to guess 50 athletes and I would have never in a million (laughs) years guessed this would have been the suggestion you you put back right you put back like prime Eric Lindros. Just like I just no, I don't, you don't strike me as a hockey guy, but I respect your overall sports. Knowledge. I went to a lot of hockey games growing up. For yeah. long, short version of the story is a friend of my dad's. Their family's one of the original season ticket holders for the Flyers, wow. so we ended up going to like a decent amount of games. Flyers games are actually really awesome in person. Like I don't like hockey or understand. Actually, funny story. When I first started doing sports writing, I had to cover a Flyers game. And this couldn't be more on brand for me. 
my story that night was an article, like a legit article, not a bit, not a sarcastic thing saying they needed to shoot more. Like that was my take from the game. <laughs> like it wasn't like this will be funny for Twitter. It was like that was my actual take that they should shoot more. But hockey games are fun. I think they're underrated. The Flyers suck, but they are fun. But to the original question, in our lifetime, like because, you know, I don't want to go back that far to like Wilt, who's basically a fictional character. But in our lifetime, how many athletes have we seen play better than Joel is right now? Like 17 Wentz was really good, but he tore his ACL. So it's it's hard to look back at that. Uh, Jalen last year, very good. I think that's debatable. Hassan Reddick, low-key, very good la last year. But I just think it's tough to compare because of the, the uh, position and importance and that type of stuff. Like how many guys have we seen as good as Joel in any sport in our like Philly lifetime? Well, so the reason I went to Lindros is one, he was incredible at his peak. Sure. But I also have two, to take your word for this. Yeah. The the rest of the sports, they don't really play both sides of the ball. Football, they definitely don't. Yeah. Baseball, like Bryce Harper is an eh defender. Like nobody really cares about him, right? Like well, you know nobody thinks about, about him for yeah. defensive exploits or whatever. Um, I mean, Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley, you could bring all them up at their peak. Obviously, Rollins and Howard won MVPs, even though Utley was probably the best overall player out of all of them. Mm -hmm. So it, it's why I default to Lindros, because he won an MVP. And when he was at his best, he was just this overwhelming physical presence that made a difference offensively, defensively, power play, penalty kill. And that's what I think of with Joel, right? Like, you when you see him at his best, people just cannot stop him. And yeah. he controls the game at both ends of the floor. And it's, look, it's always an inexact comparison when you're trying to go cross-sport. But it's why I went there. And honestly, the, the horrible thing is that there are health concerns with both guys. That that was yeah. really the only thing that stopped Lindros from being, you know, like a multi-time MVP winner or potential Stanley Cup guys that his body just kept failing him. He skated with his head down and he suffered all these concussions. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was sort of the end of his dominance. And you hope that, you know, Joel maybe is at a point now where he knows his body better and he's able to play through this stuff. And he never really reaches, you know, the, the depths that Lindros hit when he was with the Flyers. So, yeah, I mean, that's where my brain went. You could certainly bring up, there are lots of great individual seasons and, you know, athlete performances. Again, Iverson is another one in 01 where he's incredible. But which to that point, it's like, like 22 years ago, which is yeah, humbling and, in a lot of ways. But and even then, they you know they trade for they they got the defensive player of the year and Dikembe Mutombo, and they got all these right. other guys. And so it's like if you had Iverson scoring, and then he was maybe not defensive player of the year level defender, but he's at least he's much closer to that than wherever Iverson is on the defensive scale. So it just makes it really hard to say who's the last Philly athlete that we saw. It's, you could basically only do basketball and hockey. Otherwise, you have to say this guy was that good on offense that the fact that they don't play defense at all or are bad at defense or whatever just doesn't matter. Well, and also, and honestly, you see this with the Phillies right now and the fact that their season's going to start and basically nobody's talking about the fact that Harper's going to miss half the year. Like, it doesn't impact anybody's outlook on the season, right? Because as great as Harper is, he just, and look, in the playoffs, he was unbelievable. 
it's just really hard for one player to carry like the way Embiid can or the way a quarterback can or apparently the way a hockey player can, right? So it's just, it's way harder to do. And that's why I think that Harper's MVP season, which was I think only a few years ago, right? Two years ago, something like that. A couple years, yeah. First of all, he's only getting the MVP from half the league. And that's not his fault, but it is what it is. Like Embiid would have multiple Eastern Conference MVPs if that's how they handed it out in the NBA, right? But also, as as great as Harper was a year, didn't even make the playoffs. Embiid might finish as the one seed. And I think I think being a quarterback is the hot. I think that ship has sailed, man. They're not passing the box. You don't the think Bucks, so? The Dude, Bucks have won 20 of 22 games. They weren't going to pass the Celtics, too. Like, when special things happen, special things happen. I'm not ruling out them passing the Bucks. I'm not saying it, it. Like, we sat here on this pod a few weeks ago and said they're not passing the Celtics, right? They're tied with them. Like th- it's this is what a special season is. So I agree it's unlikely. Like it, I, I'd put it like 35, 40%. But but it's not impossible. It's where, where not impossible. Right the Bucks are 50 and 19. So they're three, they're three ahead in the loss column. The the Bucks would have to lose four more games than the Sixers in their last 13 games. And I right, like that, that just doesn't that, that doesn't seem realistic. Yeah, that sounds pretty impossible. I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah. So, but anyway, to, to my overall point, and I want to talk about the Cavs game, but to wrap that up, Embiid's unbelievable, unbelievable season. We haven't seen anything like this. I hope everybody's really appreciating it. I know again, to to compare to my Iverson thing, I haven't enjoyed watching a Sixers player in this team this much since 01. I just haven't. Like again, I got up at 3 a.m. this morning to do Eagles work. I couldn't get I couldn't wait to get home to watch the game. I did the pods. I love to talk about it. I just really hope people are enjoying it. So to the game tonight, give me some of your takeaways that, that aren't in beat. I mean, he was the big takeaway. Okay, I will say. Anyway, it's been a fun time. <laughs> no, um, two things. One, I think Tyrese Maxey's development as a shooter is something we probably don't talk about or appreciate enough. I think the fact that he is now just a guy that you can run off screens and hit a three on the move, out of dribble handoffs as a catch and shoot guy. That he has all this diversity as a shooter, on top of being this really fast downhill player and all the other things he can do. That he juices them up in transition and all that. He had a bad playmaking game and a lot of stupid turnovers or bad passes that were near toner turnovers in that game. But the I think you did early on. Yeah, I mean, the whole team did not take care of the ball, which was was not good. Uh, something they should have been prepared for since, you know, with Jared Allen out, I think Cleveland was always going to sell out more for turnovers and passing lanes to try to offset that a little bit. But I thought Maxi was particularly bad there and particularly particularly good as a shooter. One other thing I wanted to bring up, I tweeted out that he's their most underrated player. Shake Milton just, like, has to play for this team. Mm-hmm. It seems like when he falls out of the rotation is always when they end up having struggles with they can't score or the lineup doesn't work or there's some sort of issue and he doesn't ever do any one thing that well. Like he's kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. But in these lineups where Harden is the guy and you don't you're not really offensively dominant, but you're not defensively that sound either. He's sort of in the perfect middle ground where he's long enough that you can put him at the top of the zone and he can disrupt things. He's a good shooter. He's a good driver. He's a good transition decision maker. And, you know, he ends up, they were minus six with him on the floor tonight. 
but so much of that was that second or first half run where the bench just couldn't get anything going. Shake mm-hmm. ended up being one of their most important guys at the start of the fourth quarter. Hits a big three, hits a layup, makes a, a smart pass or two. And I just think, like, if you go back to Ben's last year that he played here, they had some moments during that playoff run where Shake stunk and they brought in Maxi and Maxi took over, like, had some games where he got some run. And then Shake came back in game two of that Hawks series that they very well could have gone down 2 nothing to Atlanta. And after being stuck on the bench, not going anywhere, Shake has this monster run to start the fourth quarter of the of the game two, and they tie that series and everything changes. And I just think like I could see him having some sort of moment in the playoffs. Like he's not yeah. going to go out and score 20 points in any game, but he might score, you know, 12 or 15 on a night where that ends up being the difference. It's him versus whoever is coming off of the bench for their playoff opponent, like him and Derek White in a Boston series, him and somebody like Grayson Allen or Jay Crowder. And he just scores more than whoever the X factor guy is on the other team. And, you know, I think that's going to end up being an interesting decision for them in the off season. One, how much is he going to get on the open market? He's kind of an interesting case. And two, how much are they willing to pay him and prioritize him versus, you know, like the Niangs and some of these other guys on the roster. Well, what I like about Shake is it feels like he's never afraid of the moment. And I think he, he to me, feels like a guy, and correct me if I'm wrong, but could miss a bunch of shots in a row and is still going to shoot. Like, I feel like when he gets in the game, he just is a scorer. And I like that about him, right? So I, I agree. I think uh, I, I have a friend, uh, Kevin, who's like been telling me for years, like, Shake is good. Shake is good. I'm like, uh, I don't know. He looks cool, but whatever. He he's good now. Like I, I I agree. When he comes in, I expect good things out of him. What'd you think of Tobias tonight? Because the one thing oh, I, I, that I was the big negative. Also, I was gonna say a lot of a lot of Sixers Twitter uh, was not a fan of uh, of of our boy Toby tonight. Well, deservedly so. I I think, and I wrote this in the recap for tonight's game. But I think that one of the side effects of staggering and having one of James or Joel on the floor at the same time is that there's never really Tobias time where you give him the ball and he's on ball or in the mid post and you're running offense through him. And I don't think that was ever really great to have Tobias time in the first place. I don't think he's that good that you can, you know, just run your bench offense through him. But the side effect of never having that time is that he never gets into a rhythm and that he has to completely live off of, is he making catch and shoot jumpers or not? And because the the answer to that question has been, he has not been recently, you're essentially getting nothing out of him and they haven't been able to coax him out of whatever funk this is. And so it's a really interesting problem to the point that, you know, I don't think they should take him out of the starting lineup. There's been a lot of start Jalen McDaniels over him uh, in the Sixers fan base right now. I'm not there. But if you were to tell me that McDaniels is going to have to close some games over him, I don't think that's like the craziest thing in the world because if Tobias plays like this and the gap between them in terms of length and athleticism on defense is what it is and rebounding for that matter, I think McDaniels is more of a I'll go get it type of guy than Tobias who sort of falls in the if it doesn't come to me, I'm not I'm not getting that rebound can. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to make some interesting choices. So 
yeah, I mean, he's in a bad, bad way right now. Well, that's uh, one I mean. thing that okay. one thing that just popped up on Twitter. I just want to, as an aside, the the controversial uh, non call or overturned call. Yeah, Knox on, moment on, on Embiid in the fourth quarter tonight. Joel got asked about it in Cleveland. Rich Hoffman of the Athletic tweeted this out. Joel gave a quote: "I didn't think I'd extended anything. I watch basketball every day." And based on the way those are officiated, we got some guys that basically play like running backs in this league that get that <laughs> call all the time. I was pretty confident. That's a pretty obvious Giannis subtweet uh, yeah. right there. Or Especially recently, didn't in the Sixers game recently, didn't Giannis did the whole thing with like lowering his shoulder and blah, blah, blah. It's yeah. a pretty pointed uh, shot at, at Giannis, I think. So. I think this is the clearest sign yet that Joel knows that the MVP discussion is turning toward him and Giannis. And uh, yes. so, well, anyway, I know I agree. I, I think like, and again, this goes back to what I said, like Jokic is done. Like he's over the Jokic thing is done. He's not going to win MVP. The nuggets aren't going to matter. He's not going to win MVP again. Like Jokic had his moment. I agree with you. It is Embiid and Giannis. And I do think that is an amazing, uh, <laughs> little little sub shot at uh he it's like you know you said he can feel like he's almost won it he's like all right i got rid of Jokic. now my next my next conquest uh i gotta take it's, care you of know that. that meme where it's the grim reaper in the hallway and it's a bunch of doors and yes people yeah. just put different pictures <laughs> yeah. on it so he yeah. he crossed the Jokic off the list and now he's got the bucks and the Giannis yeah. uh pictures like, on the uh, next door it's like Ben Jokic and now uh, and now uh, now Giannis up in there. So well, the well, funny the, thing is, he he really likes Jokic and Giannis. If you're talking about guys he actually respects, I don't think he has much respect for Ben, to put it lightly. Yeah. I think he very much so loves and respects what so, Jokic and Giannis do. But here's what I'll say: you know him more than me. I simply refuse to believe somebody as good as Embiid could have actual respect for Jokic. I just refuse to believe it. But I, 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 I will say from the limited Sixers games I've covered, you are right. Like the guy does just sit and watch basketball after the game. So I, I take your word for it. I just find it upsetting for someone I said just past Iverson that he actually likes Jokic as a player. <laughs> but, but for uh, one last Toby question, then we'll wrap it up. Earlier in the year, Toby was like playing amazing. We're talking about how he has all this trade value, blah, blah, blah. Do you think that was the Toby or do you think this version is? Like, do you think this is a funk or do you think this is just what they're going to basically have to deal with the rest of the year? I think they're both Tobias. Like, I, I think this is kind of the problem with paying him, you know, 30 whatever million dollars a year is that Tobias's MO is that when he's really in a run of form and he's in a groove, he looks great. Like he has every skill that you could want in a forward. Mm -hmm. The problem is that he doesn't put them on display all the time and that he's not necessarily comfortable with all of the things that you need him to do in an offense where the team is not built around him. So it's one of those guys that people end up thinking, you know, he, he might be an empty calories guy. And then he has a month where he's an awesome two-way guy and you're right back to Tobias is underrated. Why were you criticizing him? And people go on the Tobias Harris apology tour. And as soon as you think <laughs> you're safe, then he sucks again. And he shoots well, it's, it's four. It's never safe on Sixers Twitter. Trust me. I'm a <laughs> so, I, I mean, look, I think if Tobias was making 15 to 20 million a year, which is probably more along the lines of what he's quote unquote worth as far as value relative to production, 
I don't think we'd think that much about him, right? Like he'd, he'd swing back and forth and he'd have tough games, but we'd say, that's what you get for $15 million a year, $20 million a year. You're going to have a guy who's pretty good, but has slumps, who's not going to shoot well or won't defend on this night, whatever it is. So I, I think it all comes back to that contract. And yeah, it always does. It, it's I hate having to talk about it so much, but we probably wouldn't talk about him at all if he wasn't making that kind of money. Well, I mean, to kind of bring full circle to my day, Eagles fans spent all day today. Darius Slay's overrated. Not a legit number one. He's cooked. Get rid of him. Right? $17 million. Not worth it. Now, Howie brings him back. And from what I've seen on Twitter, it's like, Howie did it again. The championship run is back. So the money a player makes, and Toby has learned this, and Jalen's about to learn it, really, really matters. So, all right. Any other Sixers thought? Because I have a, a random final thought for you I want to run by you. It's not on The Last of Us, I assume? I did finish it. I actually... I'll say this about the last episode. I was disappointed with the ending. Like it was fine. I was just expecting more. Like I, I'm so over endings that just like are a bit of a cliffhanger. I know that we, and I don't want to spoil it, but I know we know a, a large portion of like they made it, but they're standing right there by the huge like village and they just what don't go down. Like, I don't know. It felt, I was also surprised it was the last episode. I thought there was like two or three more to go. Um, I'll say this as someone who played the game and overall liked the show, I thought the finale was really rushed. Like I, I think yeah, that's there, what I'm saying. it was one of the only times I thought that a TV show needed a filler episode to get us from <laughs> the prior episode where I don't want to get too much into spoiler territory, but you're dealing right. with like a, a cult essentially. And well, let's all just this say it now, if you're listening trauma, and you haven't seen it, Stop listening. We're going to talk about the finale. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So you go from the emotional whiplash of they're dealing with like a, a zombie religious cult that eats people to, hey, here's a giraffe. And there's just no real, <laughs> yes, I agree. there was no real interlude in there. And, you know, there was, you could see there was some trauma weighing on Ellie in the early part of that episode, but they didn't really address it. And I think it was the first time. It also I wasn't thought, exactly subtle. <laughs> I thought it was the first time that I thought, huh, this is really suffering from not having a like two hour section of gameplay in here to sort of pad out the time between mm -hmm. this big event and the next big event. And then the scene in the hospital ended up being like, they just turned Joel or Joel. It's called. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm excited um, to hear this analogy. No, nah, I, I keep thinking about him. So they're, they essentially made Joel look like Rambo where right. in the, in the game, that sequence is a really tense cover shooter where you might have like six bullets in your gun and you're all behind all this, you know, like, broken hospital equipment and all these people are just popping out of nowhere and you might have to pull out a knife and stab somebody <laughs> where he just like waltzes through the hospital with an assault yeah, like rifle. It's, it's like, so it does take some of the dramatic tension out of it too. Um, where I do still think the ending resonates is that it still creates this debate over whether what Joel did was right or wrong or justified or not. And that has always been the interesting thing to me about that game. And also the sequel, which I didn't like because of where I fall on 
Joel as a character and his motivations and everything else. Right. But I do still think it's a it's overall it's a great story. And I wish it had gotten a bit more padding to stick the landing the way they did in the game. Dude, what I thought was crazy was, so they find this village, right? I mean, it was episode six. It's wherever uh, Joel's brother was. And wow, those names are really similar once you said Joel a bunch. It's hard. To, yeah. But, so they find this village, right? It's like out of a Hallmark movie. There's snow. There's like Christmas lights. It's unbelievable. I don't know, man. Like I get, I respect Ellie for the whole, I got to save the world thing. I probably would have just stayed in the village. I mean, let's be real. What are the chances I'm going to cure the whole world off of like the... So that was another thing too, where I'm like, you've literally been living essentially like a homeless person for years. And now you have this amazing village and they just bounce. And then he, then it's like, well, who's going to go, uh, Joel or the brother? It's like, well, I want Joel to come. Why don't they just both go? Like, was it was like a one person rule? Like, just bring the <laughs> other guy too. Like, I didn't get that I hope, part. I hope producer James is not getting spoiled on a show that he- Oh uh... shit, I didn't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. All right, we didn't so, really get, we didn't give away everything. I no, mean, we, that honestly, that was spoiler territory. But yeah. All right, last question for you, and then we'll wrap it up. I was thinking about this today. James just uh, texted us said, "I have no clue what show this is, but it sounds <laughs> not." Yeah, well, it's only like six episodes. So you can watch it quickly. But all right, do you think that cell phones are now more interesting than humans? What? All right. What so, is? No. <laughs> all right. Well, think about this, right? So, all right. I, like, whenever I'm out, <laughs> whenever James I'm out, just said right? time for bed. I, I agree. know. I know. Like, well, all right. One, give me, give me forty seconds on it. All right. I'm twenty-one hours up. This is twenty-one hour awake, Elliot. Think about. I'm letting it. you cook. It's fine. Okay. So when you're out at like bars or whenever you know, like if you're out, you know, see people. You like see people on their phones, right? And like, look. I mean, like if me and Kristen are are sitting on a couch watching TV, like we'll be playing on our phones, right? Here's the reality of the situation. There is more interesting stuff in my phone and in her phone and everybody's phone than I can realistically carry on for like an hour. Like I'm a pretty good conversationist. Like we've been talking for an hour. This thing has millions of content creators in it. TikToks, twi uh, Twitter, Instagram, news. I'll never be more interesting than what is in this phone. I can try. Like I, I think, I think like everyone's like, why are you on your phone all your time? Because the phone's awesome. And there's all types of new stuff all the time. So I really feel like the phone has become too interesting for human interaction. It's just impossible. Uh, so the way you phrase that was weird. Like you're asking if the internet is more interesting than. Well, but the difference is the phone is in our hands 24 seven. But it's just your access to all those things. Correct. Right. Yes. Like it, it'd be no, if it was, if you had a, remember when Google Glass was a thing? I remember Jason yeah. Kelsey wore it to like wing bowl the one year. Yeah. Like yep. if Google Glass was the thing and that was how we access it, then. It'd be the same question. Now, obviously, phones are the dominant uh, means of accessing this stuff. But you, you're you're essentially asking if the internet is more interesting than human beings, and I yeah, say no. I, I think I, I think it is. <laughs> like when I go and I see people at the bar, it's like, oh, why are they on their phone? It's like it's probably something really interesting and funny happening on their phone. That just like I, I think it's become too good. It's just like it almost needs to be taken away. Honestly, I would love for them to be taken away in more social situations because I get driven nuts by, and I'm certainly like, I have my phone out a lot, yeah. mostly for work purposes when I'm out, but I very I much, when I'm, yeah. when I'm with my friends and family, I, I make a real effort to be present and just like enjoy being there. It's part of the reason I like traveling abroad versus 
traveling right. within America because I know that I'm not going to have cell reception when I'm in, yeah. you know, Europe or wherever. And so you just experience it. Like I have my phone with me, but it's to take pictures and videos and to preserve these memories that I'm having with, you know, my loved ones. And right. that that is the value of the phone to me. It's not being able to go on Instagram and see, you know, this person, like I posted a, a screenshot of a song I was listening to or somebody's <laughs> dog or their yeah. baby or whatever. It's like, it's the memory of seeing that friend's baby for the first time, like meeting their child or going to a wedding or traveling. Like those are the things that we get to the end of our lives, hopefully a long time. The last now. of us. Yeah. Um, we're not going to sit here and remember it. Yo, you remember that time that I was scrolling through TikTok while we were at the bar and you know I saw wow. this? It's You're going to remember, hey, you remember that time we went to fucking Vegas for my buddy's <laughs> bachelor party? Yes. Or you remember our wedding? Or you remember like the human experience is still levels, like multi skyscrapers above your phone, even if your well, phone has access to way more shit. Here's what I'll say. There's a non-zero percent chance when I went like on my deathbed, someone's going to be like, remember when you said you could hit a home run and that Embiid was better than mine? <laughs> so I think ultimately it'll always come back. But all right, we will wrap this one up. Everyone that's a little thought, a little, you know, something for you to think about with the phone and the uh, the human. And you probably won't get anything like that again until I stay up 21 hours uh, talking sports in a row. So um, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, you know, like I said, Odyssey Sports, 94 bit. You guys know the drill. Leave a five-star review. It would mean a lot. Um, and we will talk to you guys uh, next time, later in the week. All right, talk to you later, man. See you guys soon.